Turn there. Acts 16, verses 1 to 10. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. And Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God has called us to preach the gospel to them. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that in this time you give us ears to hear, give us illumination of this text that we may be encouraged and instructed in righteousness, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Well, church, last time in our studies, we saw the awkward ending to chapter 15 with the strong, sharp, and bitter disagreement between the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, which was at first a disappointing ending to a chapter which had been focusing on the unity of the church, both in the theology of the gospel and their fellowship with one another. But yet, despite the separation of Paul and Barnabas and their failing to love one another, we are encouraged, for we see how God's sovereign grace reigned over the church and upon both of the men, and how God now sends them out with new ministry partners to go forth with the gospel. And so now, with that said, we now enter a part in the book of Acts that is known as the second missionary journey. And so we carry on in verse 16 with the journey beginning. Now, a question is often asked sometimes is, why does Luke choose to highlight the ministry of Paul and Silas and not give updates on Barnabas and Mark? Which is a fair enough question. Now, some have said maybe that means that the Apostle Paul's ministry and Silas was more important than Barnabas and Mark, but I want us to immediately eliminate that kind of thinking. Gospel ministry is gospel ministry no matter who it is, no matter what it involves, and it's equally as important. So it's not that the Apostle Paul's ministry is more important, and that's why it's continued to be talked about. But rather we know the Spirit of God has inspired Luke to write about Paul and Silas from this point forward, and so therefore there is a reason for it. There is much for us to learn. And so when I say that, I mean that. In fact, from these first ten verses, and this may not come as a shock to you by now, but we're going to have multiple messages come from these ten verses regarding discipleship and the life that Christ has won for us. But this morning we're beginning with what we see in verses 1 to 3, which is the selection and example of the believer named Timothy. 
Now, if we know Timothy, if we know our Bibles, we understand that he is someone who becomes an approved gospel worker or a seasoned teacher of God's word. He's someone who is mentored by the Apostle Paul and is treated as his own son. He's someone who goes on to pastorally care for the churches which are produced as a result of the gospel and as a result of these missionary journeys. And we know that two letters were written to Timothy by the Apostle Paul, 1st and 2nd Timothy. However, before any of this, the man and disciple Timothy is first introduced to us here in Acts 16. We see some biographical information given to him. First of all, he's a citizen of Lystra. He's the son of a Jewish woman who we later know from Paul's epistles was a lady named Eunice, who was the daughter of a lady named Lois. And these were two ladies that came to faith as a result of Paul's first missionary journey through these regions. He's the son of a Greek man, and it's written in the past tense, meaning that at the point when Paul comes, this father has died and is no longer a part of Timothy's life. But even then, when we look at his biographical information, we may be quick to overlook this, but let's just consider this in the example of God's grace upon the ministry of his church. Timothy, in light of his circumstance, is half Jewish, half Gentile. And now he is going to go with the Apostle Paul to both the Jews and the Gentiles, two groups which he relates to both. And so already, again, we see God's sovereign grace being poured out upon the church leaders by providing the right personnel to go with them. We don't want to overlook that. God's grace is being seen even in this moment. But there's another part of Timothy's life that is significant that we're going to highlight this morning. We know from 1 Timothy chapter 4 that Timothy is young. In fact, when Paul writes 1 Timothy to Timothy, Timothy is believed to be 30 years old. And 1 Timothy is written 14 years after this initial meeting here in Acts 16. What does that mean, church? That at the time when Paul comes and encounters Timothy, he is 16 years old. Now, I want to stop and just... Talk about this, because as Dr. Al Mohler from the Southern Baptist Seminary, that is that Baptist Seminary coming out again, says often when we read scripture, we can lose the shock value that is associated with what we see. And I want to say that's probably true here in this case. Timothy is 16 years old. And we know from the previous chapter that Paul doesn't just take anybody along with him. John Mark didn't make the cut. No, he deserted us. We can't trust him. We cannot take him with us. He's not going to be of value to us. But yet, here's a 16-year-old that Paul's saying, come along, come along. And so I just want you to imagine what that would have looked like. Uh, Eunice, Lois, yes, remember me. Great to see you again. So glad to see you encouraged in the faith. Uh, I want to take your 16-year-old son with me on this journey. And you know that's going to probably include persecution, death threats. You probably won't see him for a couple of years. It's not a short-term mission trip. Just sign the paper here, please. We're going to go. Any parents out there getting a little, uh... This is shocking! 
16 years old and Paul saying, we're going to go forth and announce the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. Prisoned, flogged, persecution, come along. And Timothy goes and Lois and Eunice send him. It's a fantastic reality and it's beginning a fantastic mentorship and a partnership which brings forth the gospel to the world. But why? Why would Paul take this unlikely candidate along with him? What's the reason for it? Well, Luke highlights Timothy's spiritual information. Verse 2, he was thought of well by the brothers in Lister and Iconium. What does that mean? Timothy was a nice kid. Well, Timothy always waves and he holds the door open for people as they go to and from. He says please and thank you. And he's even willing to give a couple shekels to those in need as he walks by. No! Paul's not interested in niceness to go with him. He wants a spiritually mature believer to go and proclaim the gospel. And so here, this being spoken well of is that Timothy, though he is young, is already spiritually mature and is being recognized for that in this community. And Paul sees this and says, you're coming. You're coming. And so just as he was an example to Benconium and Lystra, then Paul calls him in 1 Timothy 4 to continue to be an example and let them not look upon your youth in a negative way. Amazing partnership, and it all begins here in Acts 16. But the question this morning is not just to remind ourselves of this beautiful church partnership and ministry that we see with Paul and Timothy, but what do we learn from it? After all, remember, all scripture is God-breathed to instruct us, to correct us, to encourage us. So what do we learn from the selection and example of Timothy here in Acts and the rest of the epistles? Well, there's three things about discipleship that are ultimately revealed through Timothy's life. Not unique to him, but that are revealed and demonstrated in his life. And so I'm going to be starting off with just a couple points about spiritual maturity in the first place. This is important. I want you to start this, repeat it to yourself, put it on the fridge if you have to. Spiritual maturity does not relate to one's age or the amount of years in which they have been saved. Repeat. Spiritual maturity does not relate to one's age or the amount of years that one has been saved. In fact... Recent pastoral surveys in the nation of Canada have continued to support this truth by revealing a very disturbing and important trend to acknowledge. There are many older people in congregations in the country of Canada who have been believers for years. But yet when it comes to their knowledge of God, about their relationship with God, their knowledge of the scriptures, their experience in prayer, their dying to sin, and living out the new life in Christ, they have remained infants in the faith. A 
They've never been built up in Christ. They've never grown up in Christ. They've never bore fruit the way that Christ has called them to. They haven't been continually transformed and renewed. They just show up week after week on a Sunday and expect there will be spiritual growth. And there's not. And it's everywhere in our country. And it's the pastoral dilemma that every pastor or church leader faces at some point or another. They never moved on from milk onto solid food, which is the very issue that Paul deals with with the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 3. You guys, you've been walking, but you're still infants. You haven't tasted the life that Christ has won for you. And you're okay with it. And then on the contrary, you see younger people or people who haven't been walking with Christ nearly as long, like Timothy, already taking steps into deeper spiritual maturity. And it exists in every congregation. And so it's that interesting dilemma that is a reality that the scriptures speak of that we have to be reminded about. You say, well, where does that practically come into place, Pastor? Well, let me give you an example where this can come into place. you got a membership class with a 40-year-old and an 8-year-old. And immediately some people are saying to the 8-year-old, oh, you're not ready, you're not ready, you're too young. Come back in like four years and you understand this stuff. Hold on! Because there could be the chance that that 8-year-old has a deeper understanding of the gospel than the 40-year-old. If you're uncomfortable, it makes me uncomfortable too. Because it's possible for people to come into a church week after week after week and think, I'm okay, when really they're babies in the faith. And so it's an important issue. But why is it so important? Why am I addressing it with such passion this morning? Because that is not to be the case. God's will for us is not that believers who have been walking with Christ for years or have been saved for years remain infants. While there's those who are younger are growing in spiritual maturity. No, every single person is called spiritual maturity. So the first thing, it's not dependent on your age or the amount of times you've been walking with the Lord. The second thing is, it's not an option. Everyone is called to become spiritually mature, to grow in the knowledge of God. Ephesians 4, 11, 13, you are called to grow up in the knowledge of him who called you. 2 Peter 1, verse 3, 11, you're to add to your faith the qualities of salvation, to be mature, to grow, lest you be ineffective and unproductive in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be holy as he is holy. Put on the new self created in Christ Jesus, not to remain a spiritual infant. And so when this is a reality in the church, when people are walking but not growing, that means two things. They've forgotten about the call or they're ignorant of the call. You've either forgotten that Christ has called us into new life or you look at the word of God and say, I don't believe it, I don't want it. But you're called to grow. This is why Paul and Silas and Timothy go to these churches which are already existing to spend so much time investing in them. To grow up, grow up, grow up. 
Elton Street Baptist, I am praying over us that we understand if we are saved in Christ, that the primary call on our lives before we are a husband, before we are a father, before we are a child, before we work, whatever we do, the primary calling that we have every single day that we wake up is to become spiritually mature, is to grow up into the salvation which Christ has won for us and which Christ ultimately paid the ultimate price for us to have. That we grow. There's no complacency. There's no, I'll just get by and coast. No, we are called to grow up, every single one of us, in the knowledge of the salvation Christ has won for us. So that's the calling. If we aren't to have people who are growing and people who aren't growing, then how do we do that? How do we grow? How do we change? How do we taste the freedom? Die to self. Die to sin. Become free. That's the important question. Well, what made a young person like Timothy, despite his age, become so rooted in the faith? What's going to be have to done by older people who've been walking with Christ for so long but are infants become mature? How is that going to happen? What's going to need to be done? Well, 1 Timothy 4 in verse 7, the Apostle Paul gives instructions to Timothy about how this takes place and how it's already taken place in his life. He says, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. Holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So what's he saying here? First of all, the analogy the Apostle Paul uses. He compares godliness, or being in spiritual shape, with that of being in physical shape. Now, in case of the latter, if you want to be physically in shape, I am learning more and more as I grow up. You don't just wake up and boom, voila, I'm in shape. If you want to be in physical shape, you have to work. You gotta work out, you gotta eat right, you gotta exercise, you gotta put the effort and discipline into doing the right things even when you don't want to. Even when you don't feel like it, you have got to do the work. Now, I received an email from my favorite hockey team this past week, the Ottawa Senators. Not that it was specifically directed just to me. I'm a member of the Sens Army and I will not apologize for that. Boom. But it showed what the Ottawa Senators were doing to get ready for the hockey season. And guess what? They weren't on the ice. They weren't skating. They were in the gym, exercising, lifting weights. Why? Because you need to do the work to stay in physical shape. So what's the point Paul's making here? Well, the same is true with godliness. No believer just wakes up and naturally becomes spiritually mature. No believer walks into a congregation service and walks out mature. You don't coast into godliness. Well, I've, been a, I've been a believer for 40 years now. I'm mature. No. That's not how it works. We have works to do. First Philippians 2 verse 12. Work out your salvation and fear with fear and trembling. We have works to do. It's going to take discipline and effort, training, determination. 
This doesn't mean that we ourselves are transforming ourselves, but there are works that Christ has called us to that the Spirit uses to change us. Now, what are these works? Not an exhaustive list, but things we talked about time in and time again. Scriptures, prayer, meeting with the saints, singing the songs of the faith, serving in the part of the body with your God-given spiritual gifts, evangelism, confession, and dealing with sin because we know we're not perfect and we still struggle. We've talked about these things in great detail. I'm not going to get into them again this morning. The question this morning is, are we training ourselves in them? Or are they things we just talk about? We all know that spiritual maturity comes through reading Scripture, being in the Word of God, praying, gathering with the saints, doing all of these things. The question is, are we actually making them a regular part of our life? Engaging in them? Because the reality is spiritual maturity and growth is not going to come apart from that. And I hope you're reminded of that, that I'm reminded of that. It's not going to change. You're not going to taste the freedom and see Christ and experience Christ the way we were created to unless we are training ourselves and walking and being disciplined. That's the regular works. Well, you know, I, had, I went to college I experienced a freshman whatever, and I had a plan. Well, I'm going to get in shape, and so then all of a sudden I'll have a salad on Sunday, and I'll walk on Tuesday, but I'll have Coke and cake the rest of the week. Things weren't working so well. What's going on? Well, I hope you realize that the same is true of spiritual life. Scripture one day and prayer the other day, and maybe this day, don't expect consistency and results and fruit. Working. Working, working with the promise, church, the promise that we will grow up and experience the life Christ has called us to. Do you want to experience the life Christ has called you to? Do you want to be free? Not a rhetorical question. Do you want to experience the life that the creator of the heavens and earth has for you and the life that Christ came to bring to you that he went to the cross for and bore all your sin? Then we must do these things. Now we're going into a season called the fall. Has anybody's schedule got busier? Mine has. The question this morning that I ask you is what are you doing to make sure that in your schedule, in the busyness of it all, you're going to be training yourself on the godliness. Because without it, we're not going to change. It's possible to enter heaven slacking. Jesus himself talks about that. The Apostle Paul talks about that. But that's not God's will. So what are we going to do? Not only will working out our salvation with fear and trembling, knowing it is God's spirit who is working within us, being disciplined in these works, not only will it lead to us experiencing the life that Christ has won for us, as we become rooted and grow up in the knowledge of Christ, not only will it ultimately bring glory to Christ, who 
desires that we live this way and that we then live in the life worthy of the calling he's given to us. But the next thing that Paul talks about with the example of Timothy is that spiritually mature disciples become an example of the gospel to those around them. The scriptures teach that spiritually mature disciples are to be an example of the freedom in Christ. To the world, Matthew 5, 16, let the gospel deeds shine on display that people may see and behold the freedom that is in Christ. Part of our evangelism and going out and preaching the gospel is letting the transformed life that has been produced through the working out of our salvation be on display. But here, there's something else that's interesting. When Paul's instructing Timothy to be an example, he's not just speaking of his relationship with the world, but of his relationship with the church. God desires that spiritually mature disciples be an example to one another as we gather of that life that Christ has won for us. And it's important for young believers being discipled, for those who are not saved in our midst, for those who are struggling with sin and facing obstacles, for those who are doubting, for those who are stuck in complacency. It is essential and God desires for them to look around in the gathering of the saints and see the gospel on display. To see the freedom that he's won for us through Christ. And so Paul gives Timothy examples that the church needs when it comes to spiritual maturity. Be an example in speech. The church needs believers to be examples of godliness in speech. We need to go around and see people who are going out and taking the gospel to the world. Is anybody ever afraid of evangelizing? Honestly, I put two hands up because the answer is yes for me. How amazing and how encouraging is it when we see a brother or sister in Christ boldly go out and share the gospel? It instructs us. It encourages us. It says, yes, that's what we're here for. That's what it's about. So let's get out. If he can do it, if she can do it, I'm going to go do it too. And the Spirit uses that example. How encouraging is it, church, when you go downstairs or you go to a Bible study, and rather than just, how's the weather, how are the leaves? Well, don't talk about the leaves, but how encouraging is it when you see people who are encouraging one another with the truth of the gospel, who are praying for one another, who are saying, how can I walk with you? It transforms the church. It encourages us. So church, we need people to step up and be examples of godliness in speech. We don't need nice people here. We need spiritually rooted gospel people. And Paul knows every church needs that. So Timothy, be an example. Be an example. How amazing. Spirit of God, take gossip from our lips and hatred and unforgiveness and love and blessing and caring with our mouths. So be an example in speech. We need that conduct. That our behavior matches what we say. Why do people hate church so much? 
Well, I go there, and they say one thing, and they do the other. So now I'm going to go around to seven churches and see if anything's going to change. What if we let the Spirit of God move in our lives so that we do is what we say? So when they see us saying there's freedom in Christ, there's hope in Christ, there's a love in Christ that no one can compare it to, they actually see it in our lives. Be an example. Be an example of love, love for God. Love for God that denies ourselves and says, God, I love you, I'll do anything for you, I'll serve you in any way, it's about you, it's about you. And love for one another. First John says that we love one another, we're going to care and care for one another. If your brother and sister comes to you and says they're in need, and you say, that's cool, I'll pray for you, you really don't have to love God in your hearts. You need examples of loving God, of loving our neighbor. Faith. Anybody ever gone through a hard time? I have. Come to church and you're thinking, boy, I'm singing, I lift my eyes up, but man, I can barely do that. How encouraging is it to see someone who has walked through the storms of life showing faith and saying, even though, even though he may not rescue me, yet I will praise him. Even though this sickness has come, even though my family is torn apart, even though the world is saying you have no reason to sing, you have no hope, I will trust, I will believe, I will worship, I will praise Him. The testimony that it has in the church. Be an example of faith, of purity, of holiness. I'm not tolerating sin. Well, gossip's a thing, I'm just going to tolerate. No! Make war against it. For sexual purity, for relational purity, for all these things, people taking it seriously, and that is an example of being transformed. We need examples to look around and remind us and encourage us when we're weak, when we're struggling, when we're doubting. Say, yes, that is the freedom. That's what Christ has promised. And he's doing it in them. He's promised it for me. I'm going to walk. I'm going to trust. I'm going to keep on following. But then, church, how did those examples come to be? Only if we grow in spiritual maturity. Sometimes the world looks at the church, or the church looks at the church, and says, I don't see any change. I don't see anything different. Well, that's a problem. I don't see the freedom that is in Christ. I see people who don't know each other, won't talk to each other, or are gossiping about each other. That's the gospel? That's the life that's in Christ? If the world is going to see Elgin Street Baptist and see the gospel shining on display, if we are going to look at each other and say, look at the freedom, look what Christ is doing, praise be to his glorious name, then church, myself included, we have to grow up. That's the beautiful thing about the Bible. The journey never ends. And sometimes we need to get kick in the pants to remind us of that. That we're not there. We haven't arrived, and so we must continue to keep chasing and keep pressing on that we may become who Christ has called us to be.
Scottish evangelist Henry Drummond said, To become Christ-like is the only thing in the world worth caring for. The thing before which every ambition of man is folly and all lower achievement is vain. So Lord, by his grace alone, may he train us and allow us to train ourselves to be godly by his spirit working in us that we may become mature and examples of Christ to one another and to this world. The Holy Spirit can do a drastic transformation and change even in our midst this morning. But we are called to work it out. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the difficult but yet essential truth about maturing in the faith. That you've called us not to be complacent, you've called us not to be infants, but you've called us to grow and to grow up, to taste the life and freedom that you've won for us. So I pray, Father, that you would help us train ourselves to be godly, help us be disciplined and engaging in the works you've given to us that we may truly bear fruit by the Spirit's power. And then, Lord, may we be examples of the gospel to our world, but to one another as well, just as you call Timothy. Help us be examples to one another of godly speech, godly conduct, godly love, of unshakable faith, and an unwavering desire to your purity, we pray. So lead us, transform us. Let this church shine like a city on a hill, I pray. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand together. I'm going to sing of the victory that Christ